John was born the, into utter poverty in the slums of Brooklyn, New York. His father was an alcoholic and he left the family at an early age. And so his mother had to go to work in the subway, working long hours, and when she got done, she didn't have a lot of energy or time for herself or her two children. Well, one thing John learned early on in his life is he had a pretty good gift to make people laugh. Well, when he was a teenager, his mother died and his younger brother died as well. So he quit school and started working in these little sleazy clubs around New York. Well, finally, he decided that he was going to seek his fortune in Hollywood. He talked about being a kid and said, I would go to bed hungry every night in my stomach, but I hungered more for the finer things in life. I want to be rich. So he goes to Hollywood, but it doesn't work out as well as he thought it would. At first, he could only get these small parts in B-movies and stuff like that. But finally, he started to kind of see that through this process, he had a gift. And the gift was slapstick comedy, and he could also dance pretty well, pretty gracefully, for a bigger fella. He parlayed that into a nightclub act. And then finally, in 1949, he got his big break. A starring role in one of the first TV sitcoms of all time. And then a few years later, he wrote his own sitcom, became the star, and it became a classic. We know John, I hope this is the right PowerPoint, I don't see my slide there, but we know John by his nickname. Jackie. <laughs> Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason, a man who made the world laugh, who Orson Welles tagged the great one, he made a lot of people laugh, but his private life was no laughing matter. Jackie Gleason made millions of dollars, but he squandered them on wild living, women, excess, and booze. And just like his father before him, he ditched his family, his wife, and his children. Well, after decades of decadence, Jackie Gleason kind of knew his time on earth was going to be short. And in 1984, he gave an interview on 60 Minutes to Morley Safer. In the interview, Gleason was his normal, calm, cocky self. He had a cigarette in one hand, a drink in one hand, they're shooting pool. But towards the end of the interview, the topic of God came up. And Gleason got deadly serious. Safer asked him, he said, Jackie, you've experienced everything the world has to offer. Is there anything else you would like in this life? He looked right at Safer with a lump in his throat, and he said, I want to see the face of God. I want to go to heaven. And then with tears in his eyes, he said, but I don't know how to get to heaven. Brothers and sisters, this just may just be me. I've been around a lot of places, and a lot of people can express any type of belief, atheism, whatever. But if it comes to a point of death, when it comes to the point of saying, I'm going to meet my maker soon, I don't care what you believe. I believe deep, deep down in our soul, every single person wants to see the face of God and wants to meet God. Augustine said it best years ago when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Pascal said that we all have this God-shaped void inside of us. And Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God wove eternity into our very DNA. But you know, people go through this process 
and it doesn't always end up like they want it. Jackie Gleason was starving. Jackie Gleason was saying, I want to see God. I want to see his face. He had tasted everything. But after, an expre- after expressing this deepest desire of man, he said what was probably one of man's greatest tragedies. He said, but I don't know how to get to heaven. I don't know. Maybe someone in this room today has that same question. You've thought about it. I think I know. I'm kind of sure I know but I don't really know how to get to heaven either. Well, if that's your quest, I can make you a promise today. Your, answer, your question is going to be answered. You know, when it comes to how do we get to heaven, you have to start all the way back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. How did God create the world, friends? He created in utter perfection. He made Adam and Eve and again, he didn't make Adam and Eve to obey his Adam and Eve to obey his commands and do what he says. He made them to be in relationship with him, in love. He created them in a perfect world. He gave them everything they needed. And again, everything was so wonderful and so perfect. They were naked, but they weren't running around going like this. They weren't ashamed. It was perfection. It was joy. Everything was taken care of. God created in love. But I think we all realize for true love to authentically be there, there has to be the option for what? Not to love. Love can't be forced. Love can't be mandated. You can't make somebody do something besides their will when it comes to love. So God created in love. The word is agape in the Greek. So he he said, Adam and Eve, I want you to love me the exact same way I love you. From your heart. He gave them a free will choice. But to say they chose poorly, I think we would all agree was a colossal understatement. Rather than loving God through obedience and serving him, they chose the deceit of Satan and said, you know what? I can be my own God. I'll do my own thing. I'll make my own decisions. God gave them dominion over the world, and guess what they said? We can run the world better than he can. And what this brought into the world was shame, Genesis chapter 3, shame and guilt and hurt and separation and brokenness and sin. But you know, it didn't just affect our lives, it affected all of creation. Have you all seen those hurricanes in Houston? You've heard heard about the volcanoes in Hawaii, all the tornadoes in Oklahoma and all those things. Guess where those come from, Romans chapter 8 tells us? From this sin. Sin destroys everything in its past. It completely devastates. And we still feel the repercussion of Adam and Eve's sin today. Now, you and I are not lost because of what Adam and Eve did. We're not lost because of their sin. But sin, the principle of sin, has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And the Bible says everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We all make mistakes. So we are responsible for ourselves. Sin destroys us spiritually. But brothers and sisters, sometimes sin can destroy us physically. It can bring actual physical death. And it's going to be our own fault. And because God was so right and so pure and so good, he would be justified in saying, I gave you perfection. I did everything I could to make it happen. You chose this. You broke it. It's your fault. He should let us suffer the consequences of our rebellion now and for all of eternity. But I want to say it one more, friends. Why did God create me, them, and you? He created us in love. And he understands our flesh. He understands our difficulties. He understands our struggle with sin and our inability to save or fix ourselves. 
We understand heaven's about perfection, right? To, be, to get in heaven, you have to be perfect, and therefore only the perfect may enter. So, we have to be perfect to enter heaven. And brothers and sisters, this is where God, his love, shines the brightest. Perfection means no sin. It's not possible for us to do this. But God, again, knowing our situation, takes the ultimate step in love. He sent his perfect son to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, and redeem us and sanctify us and make us right with him for all of eternity. But you know, brothers and sisters, freedom is never free. And I was reminded of that yesterday. My friend Rob and I went to see Ike and Mark. Mark, I missed you, brother. I'll come by again at some time. Good to work with you today. But we sit there and we talked with Ike, and Ike said, come here, guys, I want to show you something. And he calls it his war room. And there's a picture of a big old ship in World War II in the middle of the Pacific. The interesting thing about the picture is Ike was on that ship at 18 years old. What were you doing at 18? I couldn't scratch my shoulder at 18 years old. (laughs) He's in the middle of the Pacific on that ship, and it got blown up. He got thrown into the Pacific Ocean. Thankfully, he was saved, but he said 800 and some men lost their lives in that situation. Guys, I want you to know this. Freedom is never free. There is always a corresponding sacrifice for every freedom that we have. Sin, every sin, every single one deserves death. And again, our sin is our responsibility as Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sins is the one who will die. But in the ultimate act of love, in the ultimate act of sacrifice, Jesus Christ came and died in our stead. And here's the thing. He wasn't forced. No one made him do it. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it in love for us. We couldn't fix ourselves. Jesus paid the penalty because we, so we, because we couldn't. That's the only way we were going to be saved and be able to be with God for all of eternity. Jesus Christ is God himself. John chapter 1, verse 1, Colossians 2, 9. Only God is perfect, so only God can perfectly cleanse our sins. Can you guys see that God went the extra, 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 extra mile so that we could be right with him? Sometimes guys like me who stand at places like this, we make salvation almost brain surgery. We had all these levels and tears to it. There's one question. Is Jesus Christ the absolute Lord and Savior of your life? That's going to be the only question on the test when we stand before God in eternity. We need Jesus. The Bible is clear. For the wages of sin is death. But, and I love that word, but, if that was it, it's over. But, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. God in Christ took our sin upon himself. He justified us, he sanctified us, he satisfied divine justice. And through him, our sins are forgiven, we are sanctified and right before God. Look at what the scriptures say. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that he might become, we might become the righteousness of God in who? In him. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoptions as sons. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. And here is the verse of the day, friends. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him, and they will see his face. Isn't that cool? God has done everything to make it possible for us to see his face, to be saved. Didn't have to do it, chose to do it, loves us that much. But guys, you know what? We have a part in this too. We can't earn it. We can't merit it in any way. But we have to receive the grace that Jesus Christ gives to us. In Acts chapter 2, the very people who weeks before were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, get him out of here. And they did crucify him. They are confronted with their sin. They are confronted with their debauchery. And the Bible records their response. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the other rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Understand, there's something here. There's a call here, correct? They have to respond to something. And guys, here is the answer to Jackie Gleason's question, to their question, and the thing that everyone in all the world needs to hear. What do we do? We've sinned. We've blown it. We can't fix it. It's our fault. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's it. How do you see the face of God? How do you know you're going to be with God in heaven? Give your life to Jesus. Repent. Then, of course, once we make that covenant decision, we need to live a sold-out life for Him. I'm passionate for God. Learning His Word. Living the truth. Doing all the things that Mark said in his prayer. We want to make a difference. We want to be a light. But we don't do those things to be saved. We do those things, say it with me together, because we're saved. No merit, no earning, just a response to the gracious love of God. Friends, that is how we're going to go to heaven and see the face of God. But see, one thing's going to happen. Either we're going to die or Jesus is going to come back. But either way, we're going to see God's face. But here's the deal. For a Christian, death is not a bad thing. Death is a good thing. Amen, church? Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. While I'm alive, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. But when I die, it's going to be better. It's not going to be the end. It's only going to be the beginning. We got a win-win situation here. We get to live with passion and grace and goodness no matter the misery of this time and place on earth. And when we die, we're going to see God's face and we're going to go to heaven. But I got a little bit more good news for you. Well, let me say this. I got a lot of good news for you. Not only will we see the face of God if we, when we go to eternity, we'll also get to see a lot, many more people that we want to see again. And let me share with you a few I'm looking forward to seeing. The first one is my grandpa and grandma, Haskell and Delcy Jarvis, from Tompkinsville, Kentucky. They were just good old people, farmers, salt of the earth, didn't have two quarters to rub together, but raised five children with integrity and honesty and goodness and loved Jesus Christ with all their heart. I can't wait to see him again. I can't wait to see Avon Malone. 
Avon Malone was my favorite Bible class teacher at Oklahoma Christian. You know, sometimes you go to a Bible class in college. I'm just being real. There's drool running on your Bible and stuff like that. You're like, this is so boring. Brother Malone would come in there, and he taught Philippians. Philippians was his stuff. He wrote a book on Philippians. I took prison epistles with him. He had a little Bible. He's in Bible class, and he's just getting after it. He's, quote, he's reading the Bible, but guess what? He never looked at it. <laughs> he had the entire book of Philippians memorized. But he's up there, and there's passion, and there's excitement. And I'm like, hey, I want to go to this class. Man, someday I'm going to get to see Brother Malone and say, I really, really, really enjoyed your Bible classes. What about the Apostle Paul? That's not really the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Just trying to find a picture that was close. <laughs> Why would I not see the Apostle Paul say, Paul, I loved your writings. They made such a difference in my life. He's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Why wouldn't we run across each other? But I can tell you right now, brothers and sisters, the one person I want to see and hug and thank more than anybody is Senior Master Sergeant Alfonso Garza. I've told you tidbits about my life, and when I was in the military, acting like I did for years, Fonz loved me, he witnessed to me. For an entire year, he began to tell me about God, he told me the truth. He, he held me to the highest standard of integrity. He never compromised. I saw joy. I saw life. I saw goodness. I saw boundaries in him. And he just, his light just drew me. And finally, after a year of sharing Christ with me, on September 10th, 1987, I was baptized into Christ. And my life has never been the same. It isn't perfect. I'm not holier than thou. I got some big-time heartaches I go through, but God is good. God is gracious. God makes a way. And I'm telling you what, I can't wait to see him in eternity. I'll tell you a quick story about me and him, the way God blesses us. He went off in the military. I went off to college and graduate school and stuff. We didn't see each other a lot through the years. Well, he retired in 2009. And I was in Georgia, and a friend of mine at my church got tickets to the Masters. Golfers, you're going, ooh. <laughs> you can't get tickets to the Masters. And it's really a badge is what it is. And he told me, he said, man, I want to give, uh, give you a day at the Masters. And I thought, who am I going to take? Garza was a, a, a golf junkie. So he had retired, went to San Antonio. He was working at UPS and, I think, uh, Edmund Watts Golf. And I called him. I said, Garza. I said, guess what, man? I said, you're going to the Masters. He's like, no way. I said, dude, you're going to the Masters. I said, here's the deal. I could never repay you for what you did for me and just sharing Christ with me and helping me understand Jesus. But this is a pretty close second. <laughs> I said, if you fly down here, I will take you to the Masters and I will pay for everything just to say thank you. Well, he flew down. We drove the, it's like three and a half hours to Augusta from Valdosta. And we drove down there. We spent the day together. He got to see all the people he loved, follow him. His wife said he was like a kid. You walk into Augusta, and I'd been before, but you walk into Augusta, and it will, that big white board's there, it will take your breath away. And he just had the most amazing time. One month later, he was going to work and got hit by a cement truck and got killed. Three kids, I mean, it was just devastating. And Dolores called me and asked me to officiate his funeral. I did my grandma Delcy's funeral. I did my cousin Derek, who took his own life. I did his funeral. 
I did my Aunt Jean's funeral. But I told her, I said, I don't think I can do this one. I, I just don't think I can. I don't think I'll make it through it. And this is what I want to talk about, the joy of eternity. Dolores looked at me and she said, Brian, she said, if Fonz was standing right here right now, what would he tell you? I thought for a moment and said, I'll do it. You, you know what he would have said? He would have said, Jarvis, what are you whining about, man? <laughs> I'm in heaven. I'm good to go. Get up there, bless my family, tell people about Jesus, and do what you got to do. So someday, I can't wait to see these people and many more because of what Jesus did for me and because of what Jesus did for them. But I got to tell you, friends, I have a little heartache on this side of the cross. Because I have a lot of people I love who are important to me who have not made Jesus Lord of their life. They have not obeyed the gospel. They are not living with Jesus Christ as their king. But I do know my responsibility. My responsibility is not to save them. My responsibility is not to convert them. My responsibility is to do the exact thing that I hope people will do for Jackie Gleason and Fonz did for me. My responsibility is to share with them the truth of the gospel of Jesus and give them the opportunity to obey and be saved for all of eternity. I don't want them to be able to say like Jackie Gleason, no one ever told me about heaven. So, let's think about an application for today. I believe that there are two. The first one is this. For those who have never placed their trust in Jesus, who have never loved him, put him on in baptism, and surrendered your life to him, today is the day of salvation. Not to try to be scare or anything, but you might not have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make a decision. I'm so thankful I didn't die on September 9th, 1987, because I went to hell and it had been my own fault. But man, he shared the gospel, and finally, by God's grace, I obeyed. Today could be your day. Don't leave here not knowing you're saved. But also, guys, understand, with knowledge, there's a responsibility. If you're in this room today, you will never be able to say in your life, like Jackie Gleason did, I don't know how to get to heaven. <laughs> you know the ball's in your court. There's no pressure. There's no high-pressure sales techniques. We just want you saved. Amen, church? I don't know if we do or not. Amen, church? <laughs> That's why we're here. We want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and let people have the opportunity to be saved. But, you know, it's interesting when you work with non-Christian people, sometimes it's like they want a little bit of God and want a little bit of the world. They're like another famous comedian, W.C. Fields. W.C. Fields was just like Jackie Gleason. He lived like a heathen, didn't care nothing about God, never did anything with the Bible. Well, when he was about to die, one of his comedian friends went to his house and saw Fields in his bed reading the Bible. He saw the hypocrisy of this. He said, W.C., you don't believe that stuff. You don't believe in God. Why in the world are you reading the Bible? And if you can hear W.C. Fields' voice in your head, I can't do it very well. He looked at his friend and paused and said, Loopholes, my friend. <laughs> I'm just looking for loopholes. Guys, there are no loopholes in here. It's one way. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Trust, belief, repentance, baptism, and living the best you can for Him. That is how you see the face of God. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. So if anyone here today needs to make that decision and make Jesus Lord of your life, I want to say it again. Today is the day of salvation. If you do this, you'll be able to see the face of God, and you'll be with God for all of eternity. 
Up from the grave he arose. And because he did, you can too. I want to close with a verse, and it's so powerful. And to me, I know we usually go to Acts 2.38 first. I think this one, to me, shows better what happens when we make Jesus Lord in baptism. So what I want you to do is take your Bibles, if you would, or your phone. I don't know if you mark on them or highlight them. I think this would be one that you'd want to memorize. It's in Romans chapter 6. So open your Bibles there, if you would, and we're going to read it together. Romans chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 3. The Word of God says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now listen to this, friends. If we had been united with Him like this in His death, We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. What do you think that word certainly means? Absolute, without a doubt, matter of fact, it's a done deal. That's the first application. Please don't leave here today and not know you're saved. But what about us who are saved? What about us who've made Jesus Lord of our lives? I want to be nice to us, but I want to challenge us a little bit. Sometimes we can, the best way I can put it is we can major in minors. We get caught up in all these things that irritate us. Should we paint this this way? Should the carpet be this way? Should the temperature be this? Should the temperature be that? Should the church do this? I'm not saying we shouldn't discuss those things, but the absolute primary focus of every baptized believer and a group of baptized believers should be presenting the gospel and giving people a chance to be saved. That's why God opens this place. That's why God gives us the money we got earlier to show people that Jesus Christ is real. Let's be focused on that individually and corporately. Amen. We got a message. We got power. We got a chance to help people find eternal life. And just like Fonz made a difference in my life, there can be a difference made in yours. I was trying to think of, of, of a story. I hit that with my button probably, so... <laughs> That's the, don't worry about that. I, um, I try to think of a story to kind of wrap this up to kind of show what it means when you truly are baptized into Christ. And the best one I can think of is my friend Ron back there. I've told you about Ron, but there's one little caveat about our encounter I haven't told you about. I share the gospel every morning at Rust Street, and Ron came in one day, and Ron said, you know, Brian, I don't think I've been baptized. And I said, well, you haven't then. <laughs> He said, what do you mean? I said, when you are baptized into Jesus Christ, when you make that decision, you will never forget it the absolute rest of your life. And so he comes back that next Sunday. And when he came in that day, he was shaved and really clean. And I said, Ron, Ron's usually got a beard. I said, dude, you're pretty. <laughs> he said, man, not, not in a very manly way. He came in and I said, you're looking good. He said, I wanted to be clean for this event. So this was on the 23rd of January, 2000. 22nd, I'm sorry, I knew I'd get it wrong. 22nd of January, 2017. Well, fast forward to last January, 22nd of January. We're at Rush Street, and Ron comes in, and he's clean again. He's had that old beard again for another year. He's clean, and I'm like, am I echoing for some reason? He's clean again, and I said, Ron, you're looking pretty again. What's going on? And he goes, you don't remember, do you? And as soon as he said that, I thought, today's the day you got baptized, didn't it? He said, it's been one year ago today. I said, well, I kind of forgot that, but there's something you forgot. 
Remember back that day when you asked me if you were baptized and I said no? And you said, how can you say it? And I said, when you are baptized into Jesus and it's real and it's yours, you will never forget it the rest of your life. And he goes, that's right. So I guess I want to say that if you'll make that decision today and it is real and it is from the heart and it is your work with God, you will never forget this day the rest of your life and for all of eternity. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the way to see God's face. He's the way to heaven. And if we can help you do that, come on now as we stand and sing. Amen.